Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Alice Gradnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Nick Velasquez, the author of a new book called Learn, Improve, Master, and an awesome blog called unitedmastery.com. Nick's an expert when it comes to learning about science, peak performance, creativity, and mastering skills. The conversation we have is super enlightening, and I know that you'll enjoy it. So without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, Nick Velasquez, welcome to the pod. Alex, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. You're in freezing cold Montreal. I'm in sunny, warm Los Angeles, <laughs> not, to, not to rub it in, but uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation. You just wrote a book. It's called Learn, Improve, Master. And uh, you're just, you seem like a very passionate, interesting guy. So I'm excited for this conversation. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad we're having this talk. Yeah. So uh, Nick, okay. So tell us like, how do you, who are you? Are you, are you an entrepreneur? How'd you become an author? Like, let's, let's get us uh, into the, into the, you know, the shaping of how you became the person you are today. Sure. So my, my profession is I'm a real estate investor. Um, so I got into real estate because I was in love with, with music first. I wanted to be a rock star. That was my dream when I was a teenager. I wanted to play like Metallica and Iron Maiden. Uh, I wanted to be like those guys. So I, I went to music school and at music school in the States, I, I saw all these talented musicians, like these people were so good and they were, and they were ending up as teachers. And I didn't want to do that. Not that there's anything wrong with teaching, but I didn't want to be a music teacher. I wanted to be a rock star. So that got me thinking like, okay, maybe this is not going to happen the way I want it to happen. So how am I going to take care of the finances? Um, I wanted to play music because I wanted to, not because I had to. So that led me thinking, you know what? I'm going to take care of my finances first and then play music because I love it. Um, so I went into this research of what's the fastest, easiest way to make money. <laughs> and it kept coming up that like the wealthiest people in the world either made their wealth in real estate or they held their wealth in real estate. So I thought, I guess it's real estate. And that's how I ended up in real estate. <laughs> I have no identity tied to real estate, but that's what pays the bills and what gives me the time to do all these other projects, these passion projects, like writing the book and just learning as much as I can, which is what I love. I spend most of my time reading and, and writing too. So I, I couldn't do that be if I didn't have the income coming in from the real estate. It's okay. So, I mean, everyone searches that in their, at some point in their life, like, how do I get rich quick? Uh, few people actually go do those get rich quick things. And because they're not, they don't really work. That's not how life works. There is no, there's no get rich quick strategies. Everything takes hard work and time and lots and lots of perseverance. So, okay. So you read this, I'm going to go do real estate. There's lots of money to be made here. And like, what's your next step? So the next step was looking for deals and I didn't have much money at the time, but uh, I had read like these different books in real estate and it was like, well, you don't need any money to be shopping around and getting smarter about it and doing the enough, like running the numbers, 
doing the analysis, all these things. So I was kind of sharpening the saw until I, I found like that deal, that building that I could buy and flip it. So it was just waiting for that opportunity. And then people were pushing me like, go get a job and do something else. Cause like nothing's happening for a year. Like, no, if I get a job, then I won't have the time to do this thing. I won't have the time to analyze deals, to look for the deal that I know is going to get me started. But funny enough, I thought that was the deal of the decade. And after I bought it, I got a notice from the city saying that they were going to expropriate that building because they were building that new highway. So that started like a, a whole set of problems for like a year. Finally, I was able to get out of it and still make money, but it was a nightmare. And, and for many years, it was just flipping. Like the first deal, I made enough money to do the second one and the third one and so on and so on until I started investing in, in bigger projects that were cash flow related. Because you have like these two strategies in business. One is like capital gains and how to grow your capital. And the other one's cash flow. How do you keep uh, like income coming in without you doing much work? So the idea was to create an, a big enough base through flipping that, that I could put to work into buy and hold strategy. And that's kind of how everything unfolded. That's where I am right now. Amazing. And so how long have you been doing this real estate investing? About 10 years now. 10 years now. Wow. And is it, is it you're just doing this on your own? Like, do you, how, what's your, how does it work? Mostly on my own. I mean, when I was flipping, obviously you need a team and you need different you know, people like contractors and and just uh, this whole thing together coming in. The problem with flipping is that you're always finding the new deal. And that's what I didn't like about it. Like every time you're going after something new, but when you buy and hold, it's like you buy right once and then you profit from it for years to come. So that, that's the better strategy, but it does require more capital, especially like they tightened up the rules for mortgages and stuff after the 2008 crisis. So it became more difficult to afford a property here. And then the cash flow was pretty low. So it didn't make any sense to start there because I didn't have enough money to, to make it worth it. So I had to go kind of that route of first increase the capital and then put it to work um, as an income strategy. So Nick, so you've been doing this for 10 years now and I'm looking at you I and mean, you have some fancy audio equipment. I mean, are you also a rock star or has the real estate just taken all of your time? Like as most, you know, most jobs do. No, not at all. So it's just, uh, so after I put the book out, um, I was going to go like on this different podcast and I wanted to have good equipment. So it's, it's kind of like paying respect to the show. I was like, Hey, I have the right stuff to record. I have good audio. I have an accent that I want people to at least be able to listen clearly to my voice. <laughs> um, so it's kind of just uh, putting my part and making things work for, for everyone else involved. Nice. So, so, okay. I'm this real estate investing, is super interesting. So how does it fit into your, into your life now? Like, is it what you do? full-time part of the time is it like to tell us how that works i don't really put that many hours now because every everything works kind of on automatic now the different choices in my life at this point is do i push harder and try to make more money but then at what cost it's like i don't need much more it's not like I, i'm rich or anything but i have a normal standard of living and i don't need to spend that many hours working on real estate which was the plan all along i want to spend more time like either studying Japanese or writing or reading. Um, so it came a point where last year I had this opportunity, there's these investors from the States that wanted to do huge deals here in Canada. And I remember coming out of that meeting with my, uh, one of my business partners and he's like, why, why are you so sad? It's like, these people want to invest so much money here. Like if I take on these deals, I know I'm sacrificing whatever's left of like very young years of my life. 
that I've been spending working so much. So I'll be trading some of the best time in my life for money. And I don't think it's worth it. I don't think I need that much more. So I think later on, the, the uh, decisions become like what to say no to. And that's really tough. When people are throwing money at your face, like saying no to it, it's, it's tough. <laughs> like, no, I have enough. I, I don't need more of this. I don't want to exchange my time for this. Yeah, it's hard. That's not how our brains are wired. We say yes to more money, more chocolate chip cookies, more, you know, more girls, like whatever it is. Like it's always more. You always exactly. More. Exactly. It's the way we're wired. Like a dog. Like he's not just going to stop eating if you like, you just, he'll just eat and eat and eat, eat and eat. Yep. So we're very, I mean, that's like very enlightened of you to be able to, to come to that realization. It's not easy. I'm not going to say that it, I don't feel tempted. It was the same with the book when people ask me, like, are you afraid that it's going to be a failure? Like, no, I'm afraid it's going to be a success. And then I'm going to have all these opportunities coming my door. And then it's going to be harder to focus on what matters to me because options dilutes purpose. Like when you have too many things offered to you, it's harder to see what's the right choice. So I was kind of afraid of that. And from the beginning, it's like, okay, I need to set these rules. Like, I don't want to do any speaking as in like events and stuff like that. It's like, it's a skill that I'm not willing to go learn. Like that, that's not my passion. I like writing and writing doesn't make much money. Like there will be more money in speaking than doing conferences and stuff like that. But like remembering that's not my thing. Like I like writing. So stay with that. It, it's hard. It, it's hard to make those choices. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm liking this story so far next so you've got this uh this real estate portfolio set up that's giving you a good standard of living and now you can say okay now i'm gonna go pursue some of my passions and learning japanese and writing and you write this book so let's hear the the origin story of like how this book came to be so i've always been passionate uh, about learning so in my family uh, we didn't have a thing for luxury so my parents started from nothing and then they so they were protecting money a lot and whenever i asked them for something let's say like fancy clothes or a car or something like that, the answer will always be no. But if I said, would you send me to the States to study English? Or would you send me there to study music? Uh, would you pay me for studying French in Canada? That was always yes. So everything that was learning related was a yes. So it was unlimited budget for that. So it kind of instilled in me the idea of like learning is what's the most valuable thing. So that was from my parents and there was books all over. Like my mom was always reading. So that was another part. And I went to a, an untraditional school. We didn't have teachers. It was based on the Socratic method where we had study guides and everything was through questions. So we were studying on our own at our own pace, which meant that learning was not something being imposed on us. It was something that we discovered. So that made it a lot of fun. Like I remember studying physics and being in love with it just because it was me on my own kind of learning physics and how things worked. So that was the other thing that really influenced me. So always being passionate about learning. And I was frustrated with how difficult it is to go from knowing about something to learning how to do it. So you can know a lot about painting, but not knowing how to paint. So that led me on this research for years on like how we learn, how to learn better, how to make the process more efficient, more effective. And after a few years of research and I was compiling this book, but for myself, I never intended it to put it out there for the world. It was going to be like my master document for learning. But after a couple of years, it's like, I put all this work, I might as well just put it out there and solve the problem for everyone else too. But had I known the amount of work that was ahead of me, I, I don't think I would have done it. <laughs> it's, from the moment I started, it was probably eight years ago until I released the book. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, 
yeah, but look what you've done now. You've created something of, of real value and put it out into the world. And hopefully others, you know, that, that, that translates, you know, all of your work translates into, into helping other people. I hope so. I hope one of the things that I wrote as um, kind of the dedication to myself, I have it on a document that said, like, I hope that these things helped you, even though it's coming later that you want it. So what I'm hoping is that the people that get to read it are like early in their development, that they get to take advantage of all the strategies, all the principles, all the things that I couldn't take advantage of at that time, eight years ago, because the book was not available. So trying to shorten the timeframes, which is a lot, what a lot of great books do. Like you're getting all the knowledge that took someone decades or even a lifetime to acquire, and then you get to read about it in one week. <laughs> I'm amazed at the power of books. It's like incredible. I love it. I mean, it sounds so cool. And, you know, Nick, it's like standard methodology that, you know, you want to become a master or something great. 10,000 hours, go do that. Like athletes talk about it. And I, I heard like Tiger Woods, he had like 10,000 hours of playing golf by the time he was like five years old when like many other athletes it took him to like they were 20 years old. So, um, but is, is that... Is that a part of it or how do, how do you see it? I actually talk about it as a myth because the 10,000 hour rule is not exactly the way it's portrayed. Um, so the original research was by Kay Anders Erickson and it was done on musicians, uh, violinists to be precise. So he was studying the best violinist in a prestigious music school in Europe. And after some interviews, he found out that the best ones had accumulated about 10,000 hours of delivery practice. So there are a couple of points that we need to mention here. Like one, it was not done across skills. Two, it wasn't intended to set a timeline for mastery. So it's not about like you can do 10,000 hours of anything and then you're gonna become a master. Like it's different for different skills, it's different for different people. Um, also is like the best students have done at least 10,000 hours before the age of, I think it was 21 or 19, something like that. So this was only the beginning. It wasn't even the timeline for mastery. Like they were on their way of becoming the best musicians, but they weren't there yet. And the other thing is that it was looking at deliberate practice, which is not to be confused with mere repetition. So if you're sitting there playing the same song, you already know that's not deliberate practice. Deliberate practice is you're pushing your limits. Um, you're trying harder. Then you have the correct guidance. You have the teacher showing you where your mistakes, where you need to correct. So the problem is that 10,000 hours is a very marketable idea. So that kind of went into the public and now it's just a popular thing to say is like put those 10,000 hours, but there's so much to it. It's just calling it that way is, is not accurate. Yep, totally makes sense. So what's the Nick Velasquez path to mastery? Sacrifice, pain and suffering, basically. <laughs> like to master any skill is gonna require sacrifice. And that's the part of the process that most of us don't get to see. So usually we see the quarterback playing in the Super Bowl, or we see like an athlete competing in the Olympics, but we don't see the process that took them there. All the grueling hours, the sacrifice, the difficulty, the times of frustration. And, but that's what it takes. Problem is that we're in love with that glamor of like, hey, look at this person is so perfect and so talented. Like, no, you're not seeing all the work that's behind it. And if we were aware of the process, then we do get to decide, okay, I want to put myself through this or not. I remember watching this documentary from Usain Bolt. So he's doing his regular practice and then he stops every now and then to throw up. And he's like, that's what it is. Like when you train hard, that's what happens. And people say that's unhealthy. Like, yeah, maybe. But if you want to be as good as him, like that's, that's what needs to happen. 
uh, you have to put your body through a lot of pain and a lot of uh, stretching. So that's what it takes. And if you don't have that commitment, then mastery is not on your path. The other point, and I think it's, it's good that we mentioned it here, that there is a difference between the best and our best. So to be the absolute best at something, you do need your genes. You need like luck on your genes. You need also luck, just general luck. Um, the place where, where you were born and you were training, the teachers that you had when you were a kid, different things. But to become your best, that's completely on you. And why is it not noble enough? What is it not, not honorable enough to be like, I'm the best that I could possibly be in. I'm trying every day to be even better. Even if I'm not the absolute best in the world, doesn't matter. So people say like, why would I do it if I can't be the best swimmer? Like, well, Michael Phelps didn't know he was going to become Michael Phelps. He just loves swimming. And if you love it so much, you would do it too, regardless of how far it's going to take you. So it's, it's that commitment to a skill uh, wherever it leads you and just trying to be your absolute best. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Our society doesn't do a good job about looking at all of the hard work that goes into any type of success. We glamorize the success, you know, a startup. Oh, two guys in a garage. They raised millions of dollars. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, but they were in a hot, sweaty garage for years and years, like toiling away while everyone said you should stop and you're going to fail and this is not going to work. And like that fortitude to keep pushing forward and that determination, I mean, that's what differentiates you know, successes from, from failures. But oh, yeah, you're right. Our society like just kind of glosses over that part. Yep. Yeah, we, we don't see that part. And we also don't see all the other ones that fail. So you get those two guys from the garage that then made it big and say like, even if everyone tells you to stop, don't stop. Well, there are like hundreds of thousands of people that were doing the same thing you were doing, but they, they got the timing wrong or something happened and they didn't make it. But we never hear the stories of the people that didn't make it. So sometimes when, when these people like are looking back at their lives and they're trying to deconstruct their success, maybe they're seeing it their own way. Maybe it wasn't exactly what they said that took them there. It was a combination of luck, of timing, of different things. So the advice is not the same for everyone. I just kind of um, rambling on that subject. Like I find it funny that people don't want to be millionaires anymore. They want to be billionaires. Like what, what happened? We having a good business that serves your life and like frees up time. That's not enough anymore. It's like you want to build the next huge thing, the next Twitter, the next Facebook. Like, no, it's just fine if you have a business that allows you to have a really good life and travel around and you don't really need much. Yep. So are there strategies or mindsets that you can, you know, start to implement that will, you know, help people along this path of, you know, trying to figure out, you know, they, they have something that they like. Is there like a strategy for figuring out, you know, how to be become the best that they can be at it? Well, one thing I think is more related to business, but I've tried, I tried different businesses along the way that didn't work. So real estate is my main one, but I've tried other things. I tried e-commerce. Um, I tried selling courses. I tried different things. And uh, some of the advice that goes around is like, don't quit, like don't ever give up. And people would say, well, I was quitting on the e-commerce thing and be like, well, you're giving up. No, I'm just changing strategies. Like I haven't given up the idea of creating more income for my life, but that wasn't working well for me. Like I was selling these products and I was not passionate about it. I hated doing the customer service. Um, I didn't enjoy that type of business. So it's like, okay, let, let's just change gears a little bit. Like the goal has not been given up. It was the path to it that changed. So like if something's really not working, you're free to try something else. They're not giving up. It's not giving up on your goal, not, not giving up on the process itself. Like maybe you're doing the wrong thing. 
so it's okay to just step um, step back for a moment and look at different things. Right now, I'm going into uh, multi-leg option strategies and just trading. Yeah, <laughs> and that's been fun and learning that it's it's a new challenge, but I enjoy it. So part of it is also the enjoyment. I don't want to be doing something that I, that I hate. Like no, and there's money in other things, but there's money everywhere. Right. So you have the same goal. That's just, that's just at the top. And yeah, what you're doing, that, that's the idea of feeling fast, constantly iterating and figuring out, you know, this is working, let's tweak it. This is not working. Let's move in this direction and that direction and just being, being nimble about how you accomplish that goal. But real estate, e-commerce, working, whatever it is, it's all, it all feeds into the same goal. Mm-hmm. So going back to your question of like, what's the mindset? And one of it is feedback and it's improving. improving. So it's tweaking. It's seeing what works and then replicating and doing more of it. What's not working, then cutting it. So in, in trading, there is the idea of cutting your losses short and letting your good ones run. So that's the other thing. You're going through your portfolio and just cutting what's not working and not letting it um, go into, I, I forgot what the term is, but when you have invested so much that you want to stay in it or double down. Yeah, sunk cost. Sunk cost. Yeah, exactly. It's like you want to avoid those things. But well, that's, Yeah, that's how our brains are set up. Yeah. Yeah, so many times, and I remember doing the e-com, is like, I've spent so much money on this. I need to make it work. And at one point, it's like, no, look, it's making me sick. I keep losing more money. This is just not what's for me. And it works for other people. But it's not my thing, and I'm not enjoying it. So just switching paths. So going back to that mindset, it's like, one, yes, is the commitment to the goal itself. But it's also like being flexible. It's like being able to switch those paths. And learning, to me, learning is just the most important one. If you're, you keep learning, you keep studying different ways of doing things. I didn't know about options until a couple of months ago and how to trade them. It's like, oh, great. Now I understand there's something else in the world that I can use. It's another way to make money. If I like it, I'll keep doing it. If I don't, then I'll switch it. Where do you draw the balance between learning and doing? It's, I mean, I, I know you talk about reading and, and, and researching and all that stuff is very important, but then there's also like a tipping point of like just you know, learning by doing. Well, it's part and part. So the process goes like this. It's divided into a couple of steps. So first is understanding. So staying with the options uh, trading, for example. So understanding is like what's out there, how do they work, why they work, how to trade them. This is just the conceptual side of it. You're not trading anything yet. You're just understanding what the option market is, what a multi-leg option strategy is, how they work, all those things. The next step is memorizing. So first was understand. Second one is memorizing. Understanding something doesn't mean you memorized it. That's why we can go to a seminar or read a book, understand everything in it. And then when someone asks us about it a week from then, we don't remember anything at all. That's okay. That's normal. There are two different processes for the mind. Understanding is making sense of things. And then memorizing is internalizing that knowledge and committing it to long-term memory. So then memorizing is like, okay, so how do you build this long-term strategy, this, this option strategies? How do I build those legs? Like, what's the delta? What's the different things that I need to include? Like, why am I supposed to be looking at at any given point? Where am I looking at the chart? What was the technical analysis points that I need to be paying attention to? Like, it's memorizing the material. You're not doing much trading yet. After memorizing comes practice. So you open up a practice account, and now you start doing. But you're doing in an environment that is low risk, you're not risking anything. It's a practice account. So that allows you to kind of put into uh, use all these different things that you understood and memorizing the previous steps and just getting the hang of things. Then you go into um, what we call the bridge. So the bridge is going from practice 
if you want to go from practice to performance, it's too big of a jump. Think about it in these terms. If you're learning jujitsu and you're learning and you move and you're practicing with a friend and then you go and thrown into the ring and like, do it. Like, no, that's something else. When Once you're in a real fight and you have stress and you have all these things going on, it's not that easy. So we need a step that is bridging. It's like, how do we move from safe practice into performance? And this in the trading example could be trading very small amounts where now you have something on the line, but it's not big enough for, to take over your emotions. And finally is the doing, is the performance. And that's when you're trading actual money and you're really running your regular account. And throughout the entire process, you're using feedback. You have a trading journal, you're writing down everything you're doing, how you're doing it, why you did it. And that is gonna allow you to go back to it and make sure like what's happening, what do I need to fix? What, what mistakes did I make and how do I fix them? Yeah, totally, totally buy it. I, uh, I really like this. And Nick, this conversation has been so delightful having with you. I really appreciate you uh, coming on here. So just leave us with where people can, you know, find more of this content from you and your book and all that good stuff. Thanks all for having me. So I think the easiest place would be my blog is unlimitedmastery.com. And in the blog, you'll find like all the links for the social media stuff. Most of what I write is just geared towards learning skills, but this, this same principles can be applied to entrepreneurship, to trading, to anything you want in your life is how do we learn something? How do we get better at it? And how we eventually master it, the principles and the strategies for doing that. Awesome. Well, again, Nick, thanks so much. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.